Welcome back. Part two of this series is designed to help us understand spiritual warfare. Now, it's not intended to be something weird or spooky, not merely for the more charismatic members of God's church. Spiritual warfare is assumed in the scripture. In 1 Peter 5, when he warns us to be on the alert, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is writing to believers in that epistle, and he is assuming that spiritual warfare is just a part of life. In fact, he says, your brethren around the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings, so don't be discouraged. Don't be alarmed by this. It's not something shocking. You're not blowing it if you experience spiritual warfare, Peter says. It's just part of the reality in which we live now. We live in a world at war. And in order to find the breakthrough, in order to find the conversational intimacy we want with God, in order to find the healing and the deep restoration that he has for us, his guidance, his wisdom, his counsel, we normally have to fight spiritual warfare to get there. So many dear people, dear followers of God, feel a sense of betrayal that God has at some point abandoned them, that he's not coming through, that he's not listening to their prayers, when in fact what is really going on is that they are under spiritual attack. But they don't see it as that because they don't live as though the story has a villain. They see the only characters on the stage as mankind and God, and one of two options follows. Either we're blowing it, or God's holding out on us. So they feel at one point betrayed by God. He's just not coming through. Or, on the other hand, they feel a sense of shame and failure, sort of spiritual inadequacy, that it's something we're doing or failing to do, that we're just not mature enough or disciplined enough or what have you. But the context of our days is war. And when we allow the villain of the story a real and meaningful place, when we recognize that he is set against us in more ways than we thought, it actually opens up incredible possibilities for breakthrough, for a deeper walk with God, and for the life that we want to find. Now again, I want to make clear that the particular context of this recording was a group of men gathered in Colorado. I'm addressing men, but what I'm about to say equally applies to women. This was simply the group in which we were able to capture these talks, but all of this has equal weight and bearing and effectiveness in the life of any woman. What you'll discover here in part two is that we have the victory in Christ against the works of the enemy in our lives. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to worry about. We just need to learn how to resist and apply it so that we might go on in the love story with God. We live in a love story, but it is set in the midst of a life and death battle. We must fight for the freedom and the intimacy and the life that we want. Jesus, I pray that you would come and speak to us. I pray that you would refresh us and restore us, that you would renew us by your life within us, and that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Christ, all that you have for us as we explore more deeply the four streams, searching for more of our own heart back, our own sense of identity, calling, purpose, mission, clarity, restoration, freedom, all the life that you have for us, God. We want it, Jesus. We want it. And so like the 
neighbor at midnight, like the persistent widow, we bang on the door, Lord, and we say, bring it, Jesus. Bring everything you have for us, Christ. The power and authority of your name. Amen. Jesus said, for this reason I came, for this I was sent into the world. Yeah, reminded me of the line in Gerard Manley Hopkins' poem where he says, what I do is me, for this I came. It is an awesome thing to be able to say that. And for years, I could not. For years, I was lost. I was just looking to others to tell me who I was and trying to find my place. Didn't even know there was a larger story. Totally clueless to the life of the heart. Searching, trying things, and um, coming more and more into that place where I, I can say that. I know who I am. I know what my mission is. And it is an awesome thing to live in that place. It really is to have the kind of clarity, purpose, sense of self and direction. And the question is, why don't we? Why don't we have that? What's in the way of knowing the weight of your life? How to offer it? When to offer it? Where? I want to go to the Matrix. And I'm going to go earlier in the film where Thomas Anderson, character played by Keanu Reeves, is... Um, a guy. He's, he's just a guy. He's a software engineer, some kind of programmer, designer in a large corporation, big city. He is clueless. He's haunted by a deeper yearning, a longing, a search. But that's about all he has right now, is simply the yearning. He does not have much clarity. And you listen to how he perceives himself and notice his struggle, where it lies. And he's about, he's about to be woken up that things are not what they seem. Thomas Anderson is about to discover that the world is not what he thought it was. There are supernatural forces all around him that are bent on his destruction, intending to try and take him out. The Matrix is a pretty accurate film, actually, on spiritual warfare in the Christian life. How does he see himself? I'm nobody. Why is this happening to me? Right? I've done anything. I'm nobody. Right. That's how most men see themselves. God says we've been created as his image bearers with a dignity and a power and a weightiness and a glory that is unique to us, ours alone, that we are sent to do the very same thing Christ was sent to do, to live out that glory in such a way that the world will never be the same. Why don't we? Because we are at war. And until we live like there is a thief who is trying to steal and kill and destroy, guess what? He just gets to. He doesn't go away. He doesn't say, and these foul spirits don't stop existing because you choose not to believe in them. Right? They just get to have their way with you. They just get to pillage and plunder, harass and thwart, accuse, and, you know, everything they want to do, steal and kill and destroy, until we decide we want the life. But I have come, Jesus said, that you may have life. We say, all right, I want it, and it's worth fighting for. Let's do a little walk through Scripture here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, 
Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over all the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase, fill the earth, subdue it, rule. So what was our original job description? What were we designed to do? Yeah, rule. Like God rules, right? He is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he creates us as little lords, small l, right? That's why he is the king of small k, kings, and the Lord of small l, lords, okay? We were meant to be the kings and lords of the earth. We were meant to rule over creation as he does. Each man in his gifting, each man in his calling, each man with a unique love and desire and skill and passion, and all of us filling our place in such a way that it would bring us joy and it would forever change history. That's the original job description. Be like me, God says, and I want you to rule. I give you the earth. You are my regents over it. Take charge, take dominion, take care of it in all of its many functions, all of its many designs. Now, that was the original job description. Obviously, we know the story. You know, you're barely three chapters into it and the whole thing gets tanked. What happens, though, at the end of the age? What is our job description in Act 4? What will we do in heaven? when we are fully restored men in a fully restored universe in the presence of the living God. Well, we do not worship him forever, okay? We don't sing praises forever and ever, amen. It's unbiblical and unscriptural, okay? Turn to Matthew 25. Jesus teaching about the coming of the end of the age, the return of Christ. He uses two stories in Matthew 25 to do it, the parable of the talents, And then the parable of the sheep and the goats. Remember the story of the talents? Like a man going on a journey who called to his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five, to another one, each according, right? To another two, to another one, to his ability. And then he went on his journey. And uh, they go to work. After a long time, verse 19, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, gained five more. His master replied, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. What's he get? I will put you in charge of many things, right? In the parable of the minas, he literally gives them the whole estate. He says, I will put you in charge of my affairs. So the Lord who has gone away and is coming back and he settles accounts with his servants doesn't put them in the pews for eternity. He doesn't say, now join the heavenly chorus forever and ever. He says, I am putting you in charge of my affairs now. Well done. Well done. Take over. Take charge. Like the parable of the faithful steward, right? Jesus says, surely the one whom the master finds about his master's business, he will put him in charge of his whole estate. And then you go down to the next parable, the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate the people one from another 
As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left, and then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, which is what? A kingdom. A kingdom. Well, what do you do with the kingdom? You rule over it, right? That's what you do with kingdoms. You rule over it. And so we are restored to do what we were meant to do. Original design, rule, coming design, and then you can flip there if you'd like, but Revelations 22, verse 5 says, and the saints shall rule with Christ forever. Original job description, coming job description to rule, to be his image bearers in the fullness of the weight of our glory, living out our design, ruling over his kingdom. That's what we were created to do. That's why we long for it. That's why all our days we're searching, haunted by a sense of meaning, purpose, significance. I want to know I, I have an effect. I want to know that my effect is good. I want to know what it uniquely is for me. I want to find my place. Right. What you were designed for. We're not just here to kill time. And the men who think that they are, it's killing them. Because in the meantime, original description, coming assignment, in the meantime, what is Christ up to? Teaching you to rule. Training you to walk in authority. That's what's going on now. Because that's what we are up to. Adam's sin, you see, was acquiescence. Acquiescence. He folded. He wimped out. He went passive. He went limp, literally, doesn't speak, doesn't act, and what happens? Well, not only does he lose Eve and his own glory, they lose the garden, they lose the whole deal, right? The earth falls under the power of who? Satan, 1 John 5, verse 19, now the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. That wasn't the design, the earth was given to man. Man gave it away. You see, he abdicated his authority. And Satan comes, which is why in the temptation of Jesus, when Satan comes to him and he says, hey, hey, you don't have to do the cross thing, right? Just worship me and I will give you the kingdoms of the world. He is not promising something he cannot offer, right? That's not the part of the lie. The part of the lie is, it's no big deal to worship me, right? That's the problem in the offer, but it was his. It was his. We gave it away at the fall. We lost it. We lost the dominion, the rule that we were meant to have as God's image bearers over the earth through passivity, through acquiescence, that folding, not acting, not speaking, not standing, not offering our strength. The false self is almost always wrapped around either a passivity or a false strength, right? The macho guy with the big tires on his truck and the leather jacket and he's, you know, and it looks strong, but it's like a cartoon version of it, you know? All right? Or the guy who's just super passive and quiet and yes, dear, yes, whatever you say, my love, yes, you know, and he never takes charge, never acts in authority, never walks strong. That's what you have now, that folding of Adam passed on to every one of his sons. Now, Jesus won it back through his cross, 
his resurrection, and the ascension, Christ was given what? Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Before he sends them out, us out, what does he say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In fact, earlier in John, he says, now the prince of this world has been judged. Now is he cast down. Christ even calls him the prince of this world. Right? But Christ won it back. Through his choice to do the opposite of what Adam did, trust God, obey, up to the point of his own death, through his shed innocent blood and all that the atonement affected, through his resurrection from the dead, and then in his ascension, he has given all authority. And then he gives it to you. He gives it to you. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. There's a commissioning, a bestowing, a transfer of authority. In fact, in Luke 10, you, you get the trial run of this. Luke chapter 10, Jesus takes the 70. They're not the apostles. They're just regular guys and gals. And he gives them his authority to go out and preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and to kick out demons. Right? You remember the story? Then they go out, and what happens? They come back, and they say, Whoa! 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 It works! Lord, they said, even the demons submit to us in your name. In other words, by your authority. And Jesus' response, seemingly obscure, what? I, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Huh? What does that mean? It means, you see? You see? He's finished. It works. It works. I can transfer my authority to my disciples. Satan is history. It works. That's what you see in Luke 10. And then he transfers it to us, and he says, you now do what I do. Heal the brokenhearted, set the captive free through my authority. I give you my authority, which is why in Ephesians 2, verse 6, it says that you have been raised with Christ and seated with Him at the right hand of the Father. In other words, in His authority. That's what, it, that's what that means, that whole throne imagery and to be seated at the right hand of God. That's the position of authority. You are united with Christ in His authority. Now, I'm going to tell you, brothers, you're going to need it. You were designed to rule. You're going to be given the entire kingdom in a very short while. I mean, it's not going to be long. It's going to feel like that. And in the meantime, training. He is raising you up, calling you out to walk in your strength, your dignity, your new name, to walk in your position in Him to use His authority. Luke 10, the trial version, it worked. Now that's the Christian life. Now go and do what I do in my name. That's where we are now. That's what we are after. Jesus offering us life, but warning us, heads up, you guys, I do want life for you. I want all of the freedom. I want all of the love. I want all of the friendship, the intimacy. I want all of the influence that you want for your life. I want life for you. But heads up, 
There is a thief, and he is trying to steal and kill and destroy you and everything you love and care about. So, simple exercise. What has dogged you all these years? You just think back over the story of your life, dating relationships, I mean, even starting from childhood, school experiences, opportunities, sports or not, academics or not, and then moving on into adulthood, different career attempts, different church efforts. What has dogged you all these years? Has it been a sense of shame or a sense of fear? Has it been a sense of just confusion? Never really having clarity? Has it been anger or lust? Has it been a a sense of just worthlessness? I'm nobody. Who am I? I'm nobody. Give this some thought. What are the things that just seem to have tripped you up or held you back or somehow always found their way in even when something was going great and then all of a sudden they're it is, again, whatever the it might be, abandonment? Is that a theme? Loneliness? Resignation? The sense of stupidity? I don't get it. I don't measure up. What has dogged your heels? How has the thief tried to steal and kill and destroy? Just give some thoughts to that. And Jesus, we ask you by your light, As the scriptures say, in your light, we see the light. And so we pray you shed light on this and help us see what has come against us. What's just been dogging us all these years that maybe we never have put words to. Help us see it, Christ. Help us identify it. In fact, look back now when I just asked you, where did the attack come in the last week? Remember that? That question? What did you feel accused about or where the hassles come in? What was assaulted in particular, right? And look at that and go, now, is that the first time that's happened? Or is there kind of a pattern here? Is this in one form or another been playing itself out for a while now? Shed some light. Bring some clarity. A young man came to see me a couple years ago. And um, good guy, really liked him, liked him right away. He's just a neat, a neat guy, young man, kind of a creative guy. Had, a, I think it was like a construction business or something, but what his real love was, was music. What he really wanted to do was write scores for films, write film scores. But he was a talented guy. Uh, led worship at his church for a number of years, wrote his own worship songs as well as, you know, played others. And Led a home fellowship, uh, Bible study in his house. Led a lot of people to Christ. Real bold guy with his faith. Much more than I am, frankly. I mean, he's just kind of out there. Hey, you know Jesus? You know, just talking to people. Warm, friendly. Just a good guy. Walked with God. Walked with God. Would hear the voice of God. And, and often on behalf of others. You know, people would come to him and say, I'm just trying to make a decision. Can we pray together? And he'd help them find clarity and direction and guidance. However came to me because all that was gone. Gone. He could not write music. He could not worship. He had to quit the worship leadership in his church. Could not pray. Could not hear from God anymore. Obviously, wasn't sharing his faith because he didn't have anything else to share anymore. 
So all that was gone, home fellowship collapsed, broke up, abandoned, all of it was gone. The man had been taken out. And when you see that happen, doesn't some category in you go, whoa, whoa, what happened? I mean, the thief comes in. He has really stolen, murdered, destroyed this man's life, his heart, his relationship with God. Whoa, what happened? And I'll tell you right now, nowhere in the story is there sin. No fear, no addiction. He wasn't hooked on something. That wasn't the story. The story was the assault of the evil one upon his heart. And the poor guy could not get out from under it. He just couldn't get out from under it. And he tried the other streams. He, he tried the stream of counseling. He went to two different people seeking counsel on it. Didn't work. And he went to the seminars and the conferences. He tried discipleship, you know, and as it was offered to him, discipleship, it didn't work. It did not set this captive free. It did not heal his brokenness. It didn't do what Jesus said he came to do, which was restore and release a man. Bring him back to his glory. Let him loose on the world. What Christ said he came to do. It didn't work. And thank God he turned to the stream spiritual warfare. Just, well, you know, he kind of came up to me at a conference at one point and said, you know, I don't know what's going on. I'm sorry to bug you, but, you know. And I'm like, you know, the buzzers are all going off on my end of things. I'm like, I know what this is, right? I can read this like a 10-cent novel. This is spiritual warfare. The poor guy's getting hammered. You know, so, so throughout a few questions, have you thought in those categories? Well, a little bit, but I don't really, you know, I don't know a lot about it. And so could, anyway, long story short, we, uh, we prayed with him and for him and over him. First, we listened to his story. Three years old, dad backs away in an emotional abandonment and he makes a vow. I will never need anyone. But he stayed close to his mom. His mom was a source of mercy, kindness, and emotional connection in his life. And he became a Christian shortly after his mom became very ill. The teenager, at this point in his life, he begs God to save her life. She died. Major abandonment number two. Still, he tries to hang on. Tries to hang on to a young faith and, and uh, grow, walk with God, write the music, worship, all of that begins to open himself up to a couple men in his life. Both of them have affairs. Abandonment three and four. And the enemy rushes in on that. You go back and take a look again at Ephesians chapter four. Paul says that whole thing about be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now he's talking to Christians and he's saying the possibility of spiritual strongholds in your life is real. One. And it usually takes place in the context of unresolved emotional issues. Anger just being one example, but it's not like the sin. It's not even described in Scripture as the worst sin. Okay, It's a sin, a and issues at times, right? But Paul says don't give these footholds. Don't allow for these opportunities of strongholds. And in 1 Peter 5.8, when Peter's writing to Christians, and he's warning them, be on the alert, your enemy, the devil, goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Okay? It's a pretty strong word. He's writing to Christians, right? And he doesn't say the devil goes around looking for someone to tempt. The word he uses is shred, right? Maul. Meaning there is a possibility of that happening to believers. He's not writing to unbelievers. He says, heads up, resist him, firm in the faith, right? Knowing that your brethren around the world are undergoing the same kind of attack. So Peter's just assuming you're under spiritual attack. It's just kind of a given in the Bible. Right? What Thomas Anderson discovers, whoa, whoa, what's going on in my world? What's happening to me? Oh yeah, that's normal. Welcome to reality. That's the world you were born into. You were born into a world at war. You will live all your days in a world at war, and you are learning to rule. You are learning to walk in authority and genuine masculine strength to do the very things that Adam refused to do. To show up. Come through, speak, act on behalf of others. That's what's being rebuilt in us, right? And we've got some exercising to do, you know? We've grown a little flabby in those areas. And it's primarily in the category of spiritual warfare that we learn to do. I've given you my authority, now I want you to do the very same thing. I want you to set the captives free, heal the brokenhearted through the authority that I have given you. That's the Christian life. That's just normal. It's just de rigueur. Several years ago, um, when Stacy and I began to realize that her long, long bout with depression, we went the stream of counseling, and it helped partially. There were some wounds, you know, some messages, some things she had to sort through, some ungrieved grief, you know, that stuff just lingers in there. It'll eventually make you pretty sad, but it wasn't enough. And so then we went the physical route. Is there something, you know, chemical, serotonin levels in the brain, that sort of thing. You know, ever since the fall, the body's not working right. And so, yeah, there were some, some physical things there that needed to be taken care of, but it didn't go away. All right, well, body, soul, spirit. If the body's okay and the soul's okay now, it must be spiritual. So we started, you know, bringing the work of Christ against anything spiritual, and she's free. She's not depressed anymore. She doesn't walk in that at all. But at one point in this long battle, and it was over several years, of getting her freedom. Stacy looked at me one day and she said, you know, quick little prayers aren't going to do it anymore. It's so true, you guys. You know, just on the way to work, Lord Jesus, be with me today. Um, bless the day in your name, amen. That is not exactly fierce mastery. Okay, that's not exactly ruling in authority and dominion. You know, yes, we throw up quick prayers now and then, but I'm just telling you, that's not going to work as you move into freedom and you want everything Christ has for you. We need to learn to exercise fierce mastery. So, the world is still living in a modern, uh, rationalistic mindset. They don't live in a supernatural world. There is no God, there are no angels, there are no foul spirits, right? So the Enlightenment has really ravaged the world. And the church, by the way. Most Christians don't live with a supernatural worldview, right? They don't. I mean, they think in very naturalistic terms about anything. You got a church division, a split in the church. They don't think warfare. But Paul's warning, don't let Satan outwit you, right? With his schemes, Ananias and Sapphira. You know, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the elders? You know, we don't think in these categories. So it is a category of evaluation. It is one of four streams. But as I said, the body has been ravaged since the fall. You know, I mean, Methuselah lived a long time. You know, we don't anymore. I mean, our bodies don't work 
So the brain, and there can be chemical issues. So I don't want to rule it out. I want to say, let's think biblically, right? Let's look at any situation with a biblical worldview, right? And warfare is a vital category of evaluation. Could it be? And the quickest thing is, treat it like it is. If it responds to it, it was. I mean, this you know how medicine often works. Well, let's try this. Watch the reaction. Adjust the you know, prescription. You treat it like warfare. If it goes away, it was. If it doesn't, well, maybe something else is going on. You'd be surprised how much is warfare because of where we are now in the scheme. I really believe things are heating up. I think God is raising up an army for war. I think we are meant to be in the vanguard. We, his warriors of that movement, And so treat it like warfare, and you'll be surprised how much responds to it. There's a whole lot of freedom out there that's ours just for the sort of the taking. Okay, pull out the daily prayer. This is adapted from a prayer um, that is in Ed Murphy's The Handbook of Spiritual Warfare. A handbook, you know, it's a tome. It's an exhaustive, you know, concordance sort of on spiritual warfare. And Ed Murphy's story is the same as mine, the same as most people's. Didn't think in this category until it affected his family. The opening of the book, he tells the story of his daughter opening herself up, putting on a pentagram necklace, warfare coming into the home, you know, and he's like, whoa, you know, he's kind of typical conservative evangelical, didn't get this category, what is this? And then as the head of a missions organization begins to realize, I think there's a lot more of this going on than we're preparing our people for. And so he goes into, it's, it's a great, great book. It's, it's a full biblical explanation of the authority of Christ and, and all of that. Pretty thick reading. If you're just getting into this, I'd go to Neil Anderson's first two books, Victory Over the Darkness, which is just this very encouraging book on who you are in Christ. I mean, in some ways, there's very little about spiritual warfare, but it's just all that Christ has done for you. And then the second book, The Bondage Breaker, gets much more specific about certain kinds of warfare and how you break it. Introductory, start with someone like Neil Anderson or Tim Warner, uh, Timothy Warner's book on spiritual warfare. If you want more or find that you're in a situation that you don't know what to deal with, Ed Murphy, great exhaustive book. And this prayer is adapted from that, which he admits he adapted his from some other Guy is footnoted in his book, so kind of according to how much we learn and grow, and this has changed for me over the years. We joke about, do you have, you know, version 3.0, or is that, is that the daily prayer 5.0? Because as we learn more about what to shut down and what to break and what works and what responds to this, that, and the other thing, we, we kind of adapt the way we pray. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom. That Christ has set you free. His work is so awesome. Do not let yourself be subject to any yoke of slavery, wherever it's coming from. That's Paul's urging of us to walk in the freedom that is our right. And uh, as you walk in fierce mastery, that masculine, the opposite of what Adam did, the opposite of limp, passive, folding, acquiescence, you know, as you begin to walk in, Fierce mastery, you'll see, it works. All right, so let's walk through this daily prayer. Let me show you. This is why we pray this way. First paragraph. Christ tells us to abide in him, which implies that it's possible not to abide in him. He warns about certain believers losing connection to the head. 
not talking about salvation or eternal destiny. He's just saying that in a daily way, we need to kind of renew our abiding in Christ, right? A mighty fortress is our God, right? Well, I mean, Luther knew spiritual warfare. Some great stories. He gets woken up one night by Satan. You heard this one? Yeah, Luther gets woken up one night. He rolls in bed, turns over, and Satan's standing there. True story. And, and he says, oh, he says, I thought it was the Lord. He, oh. he just dismisses him. You know, he was, oh, there's a spiritual presence in the room. You know, kind of thing. Oh, it's just you. <laughs> so our dear Lord Jesus, come to you now to be restored in you, renew our place, our allegiance, and to receive from you all the grace and mercy we so desperately need today. This is just humility. It's just coming back and admitting our need, dependence to Christ, and, and choosing to abide in Him. We honor you, sovereign Lord, surrender every aspect of our lives totally and completely to you. Romans 12:1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? Give you our heart, soul, mind, and strength, all kind of combined up in soul there, our spirit as well, right? He who unites himself to the Lord, 1 Corinthians, is one spirit with him. And then the blood of Christ is what cleanses us from sin and, and the stain of the world from every evil device. Revelations 12 says that the saints overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much so as to shrink from death. So we bring the blood of Christ over our spirit, soul, and body just to be cleansed anew. And we ask the Holy Spirit to restore our union with Christ, seal us in Him, guide us in prayer. This is just simply coming back into abiding. It's our way of just restoring our place in Christ. In all that we now pray, we include our wives and our children, because as Christ said, the husband is the head of the household. So acting as their head, we bring them under our authority and covering, and we come under His, the authority and covering of Jesus, We're kind of lining up in the spiritual realm spiritually, so that all of the protection of Christ is over our household. And we ask the Holy Spirit to apply to each of them, and I usually do this by name, you know, apply to Stacy, Samuel, Blaine, Luke, all that I'm now praying in my prayer closet on their behalf. And then that spiritual principle of whatever two or more agree, right, it shall be done. So we stand in agreement. If, if we're not together, we're still praying this every day every morning, sometimes several times a day. And so I'm standing in agreement with my brothers in this time of prayer. They're standing in agreement with me. There is power in those agreements together. Okay, and then we start with the Trinity, and then we address Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we just begin really with worship. God, holy, blessed Trinity, you alone, worthy of all our worship, our heart's devotion. Our praise, trust, the glory of our lives, we worship, bow, give ourselves over to you in our heart's search for life. That song, uh, the heart is a lonely hunter, right? And your heart is constantly searching for life, constantly. Looking for validation, affirmation, comfort, mercy, always on the search, right? Song of Songs says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Your heart is always looking for life. You're made for it right? I have come that you may have life, right? But you refuse to come to me, he says to the Pharisees, to have life, yeah. And when the angel springs the disciples from jail, he says, go tell the people the message of this new life. The gospel is about life. 
fact, Dallas Willard in his teaching says, really, change the word salvation and just substitute life. That's what salvation is. It is to get life. Okay? So we're just coming back to God and saying, okay, I am desperate for life. You alone are life, and you have become my life. I renounce all other gods, all idols, any idolatry. And then if you need to get specific in here, Lord, forgive me for turning to food yesterday. I totally see it. Went there for comfort. Ask your forgiveness. Whatever, you know, wherever you've been fishing, you know, we just come back, renounce all that stuff, bring our lives back under Christ. And we give to him the place in our heart and in our life that he truly deserves. We confess that it is all about God, not about us. He is the hero of the story. We belong to him. And then we ask his forgiveness for every sin, right? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we ask him, like David prayed in Psalm 51, search me, know me, reveal to me any aspect of my life that's not pleasing to you. Grant me the grace of a deep and true repentance. And this is where I'll often pause for a moment. And God will sometimes reveal agreements that I've made. You know, enemy threw something at me and I made an agreement. So you stop right there. Confess it, break it, renounce it. No. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us, choosing us before you made the world. Ephesians chapter 1, right? You are our true Father, creator, redeemer, sustainer, the true end of all things, including our life. Love you. We trust you. We worship you. Thank you for proving your love for me, Romans 5, by sending your only son, Jesus, to be our substitute and representative. Jesus did two things. He was the last Adam and the second man, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's the last Adam and the second man. He ended what Adam brought on the human race, that infection, that the sin nature and all that came with it, death, right? And he is the new man, the second man. He is the head of a new race of men. We receive a totally new nature, good heart from Christ. So he's both things to us. We receive him, all his life, all his work, which you ordained for us. Thank you for including us in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Forgiving our sins, right? 1 John 1, 9. Granting us his righteousness, I'm not going to go through all the footnotes here on this. Making us complete in him. Thank you for making us alive with Christ. We read that in in, uh, the second chapter of Ephesians this morning. Raising us with him, seating us with him at your right hand, granting us his authority and anointing us with your Holy Spirit. We receive it all with thanks and give it total claim to our life. And then we walk through the three great works of Christ. Right now what the church has is one half of one third of the work of Jesus. I mean, no wonder it's not all that effective. You know, we have half of the cross. We have forgiveness. I'm telling you, there is a lot more in the work of Christ for you. The cross did buy your forgiveness. It did purchase your atonement. But it also disarmed the foul spirits. You look at the second chapter of Colossians. It talks about the power of the cross disarming the foul spirits. Colossians 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Now listen to verse 15. And 
having disarmed the powers and authorities. Those are the foul spirits of various rank. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The, the demons hate the cross. They hate it. They hate the blood of Christ too. It disarms them. Okay? So we're first going to enter into the cross. Thank you for coming for us, Jesus, ransoming us with your own life. We honor you as our Lord. We love you, worship, trust you. We sincerely receive you as our redemption. And we receive all the work and all of the triumph of your crucifixion. And then here it is, whereby we are cleansed from all our sin through your shed blood. Our old nature is removed. Our heart is circumcised to God. You have a good heart. You have a good heart. That's the beauty of the new covenant. Romans 2, your heart has been circumcised to God. The sin nature removed from your heart. I take my place now in your cross and death, whereby I have died with you to sin, to the flesh, to the world, and to the evil one. I am crucified with Christ, and I have crucified my flesh. That's the end of Galatians 5, with all its passions and desires. And then Christ says there is a dailiness to it, though. We do choose that again each day, right? We still fight a battle against the flesh. So we take up the cross, we crucify our flesh with all its pride, it's unbelief, it's idolatry. We put off the old man and we bring the cross of Christ now between us and all people, right? Breaking any soul ties or unhealthy bonds, all spirits because it disarms them, all things, right? Galatians 6:14. Holy Spirit, apply to me, stay, Sam, Blaine, Luke, the fullness of the work of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ for us. I receive it with thanks and give it total claim to my life. As we go through this each day, it's amazing. You can feel stuff just lifting off. I mean, you get done with this thing and it's like you're up for air. It's like, whoa, man, I'm feeling better. I had no idea how much I was under. And all we're doing is just taking our place in the work of Christ. And then now into the resurrection, all right? This is the second third of the work of Christ. And the resurrection has done so much for us, right? Just as Christ has been raised to a new life, Romans 6, so you too have been raised with him to a new life. The resurrection is where we get the life of Christ. Cross, end of the old man. Disarms the foul spirits. Resurrection, life, strength, power. That's where we receive his new life. And so we receive him as our new life, our holiness, sanctification, we receive all the work and triumph of your resurrection, whereby we have been raised with you to a new life, to walk in newness of life, dead to sin, alive to God. It's right out of Romans 6. We are crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ now lives in us. And so we take our place, that agreement, that act of will or volition each day, and we enter into the resurrection, putting on the new man in all holiness, humility, righteousness, purity, and truth. Christ is now my life, the one who strengthens me. And then we say, Holy Spirit, apply to us, our wife and children, the fullness of the resurrection of Christ for us. We receive it and give it total claim to our life. There's some foul spirits that don't respond to the cross. And I know it's weird and it gets really technical, but death and destruction, they love the cross because it's death and destruction. You bring the resurrection against them, they freak. They freak. They can't stand the resurrection, right? So the resurrection is incredibly powerful. It really is. And we bring it against the foul spirits all the time. And then the third part of the work of Christ is his ascension. 
And that's where he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He said that after the resurrection, right? After he won it. He won it through the cross, right? Took care of any claim that Satan had, disarmed the foul spirits, and then all authority is given to him. That's the ascension. And the ascension is where we are also seated with him. And so, Jesus, we sincerely receive you as our everlasting deliverance from and victory over Satan. And we receive all the work and triumph of the ascension, whereby we have been raised with you to the right hand of the Father and established with you in all authority. And so, again, we take our place in your ascension, whereby we are given fullness in you. That's earlier in Colossians 2, in your power, authority, and dominion over every ruler, power, authority, and spiritual force of wickedness. In Ephesians 6, where Paul tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, that we wrestle you know, against the spirits of wickedness in this world, he names four kinds. He says we wrestle against the rulers, the powers, the authorities, and the spiritual forces of wickedness. Those are various ranks of foul spirits. They're different kinds. Paul says that's what we wrestle with now. Use warfare as a category because that reminds you, it's not her. It's not her. It's not him. Right? It's the enemy getting in. Right? They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're cooperating with. They don't know what they've agreed with. Right? It's not, that's not where the battle lies. It's not her. And that pull to shame that person or dismiss them, that's not them. And that's not your bad heart. It's the warfare. Okay? And what's awesome is that we've been given authority over all of it. So we take it. We claim the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. We're doing this out loud, by the way. Demons can't read your mind. They're not mind readers. What they do, though, they're very good judges of human nature. I mean, they're ancient, right? These guys have been around for, you know, millennia. And you know how you can kind of read people. You can read your wife or your kids pretty well, your friends. You can kind of read your boss. You know when he's ticked. Well, what they'll do is they'll throw a lie at you and then they'll watch to see your reaction, right? And then they can kind of see, are you suddenly discouraged? Oh, you know, hey, it worked. And then they just, and then they just dump on it, you know? And so you have to rebuke them out loud. It doesn't work to just do it in your mind because they can't read your mind. Jesus does it verbally and in many places sternly, okay? So out loud, I bring the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ against Satan, against his kingdom, against all his emissaries and all their work, against me and my domain. Satan is defeated. The prince of this world is cast down. The rulers and authorities have been disarmed. And greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. 1 John 5, right? Christ has given me authority to overcome all the power of the evil one. That's Luke 10. And I claim that authority now over and against every enemy. Now, sometimes you have to get specific. You know, if you've been fighting a two-week battle against discouragement... Well, you got to name it. Remember Legion? You know, first Jesus just says, whoever you are, you're out of here. And he doesn't leave. And it's Christ commanding. So then he goes, who are you? He gets more information, right? Gets a name, rank, serial number, right? He goes out and then it works. Sometimes you have to get very specific with these guys. Discouragement. I reject you. I reject these agreements I've been giving you. God has granted me eternal encouragement and good hope for Thessalonians, right? No, get out, be gone in the name of Christ. 
sternly, stubbornly, out loud. And so we claim the authority of Christ against every enemy, and then we ask the Holy Spirit again to apply to our wives, our children, and us the fullness of the ascension. We receive it, give it total claim. Then we go to the third person of the Trinity, right? For the Lord is the Spirit, as uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It is all about freedom and life. That's the effect the gospel is supposed to have on people. Okay, so Holy Spirit, we receive him as our counselor, comforter, strength, guide. We thank him for sealing us in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1. We ask him to lead us into all truth. That was why Christ sent him, right? He says, I have much more to say to you. Remember John 16? But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you into all truth. And we need it. It's the beauty of this intimate walk with God. Lord, I don't have clarity here. What's going on? Holy Spirit, lead me into the truth in this situation. I want to walk with you. We ask him to lead us into all truth today, to anoint us for all of our life and walk and calling, to lead us deeper into Christ. We ask the Holy Spirit to apply to us all the work and gifts in Pentecost, whatever your theology is on this, right? He came at Pentecost, right? That's when he came, and and it says he gave gifts to men. So however you want to interpret that, we want whatever he's got for us, right? So come, I fully open my life to you in every dimension and aspect, choosing to be filled with you, to walk in step with you in all things. And Paul says at the end of Galatians chapter 5, we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Right? So he's there, it's done, but there's a volitional choice to say, today I want to walk with you. Today I want to keep in step with you. I want to move with you. In and out of conversations, meetings, crises, I want to walk with you, Holy Spirit. You know, show me the way. So we ask him to fill us afresh, receive him with thanks, give him total claim to our life, our wives, and children. Heavenly Father, we thank you for granting to us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 1, right? We receive those blessings into our life. We ask the Holy Spirit to bring them all into our life. And then we go through several of them by name. The blood of Christ, so effective for disarming warfare. And we bring the blood of Christ in a fresh way from every sin, stain, and evil device. And then the armor of God, right? Ephesians 6. You've got to put it on. And and it's an actual spiritual armor. It's not not a metaphor for some other thing. It's not a a principle. It exists. It's real. Foul spirits see it. They fear it, right? We literally armor up in the spiritual realm, the rest of reality. So we put it on, belt, breastplate, shoes, helm, shield, sword, And we choose to pray at all times in the Spirit. Now the angels, the end of Hebrews chapter 1, I believe it's verse 13, it says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who shall inherit salvation? This is amazing. The angels are sent to serve you. Is that cool? And let me tell you, you're going to need them. So we call for the help of the angels daily. They are sent to us, and we give them a kind of an authority and an affirmation over our realm. Thank you for your angels. We summon them in the authority of Jesus, and we release them to war for us and our household. I especially call for them when I'm under great battle, and I need their help. I call for the angels to assist me in those battles, like Daniel. Daniel was a great man, right? But the angel needed, he needed the angel's help. The angel had to come to him. 
and, and on and on it goes, right? Right before they go to Jericho, right? God says to David, wait till you hear the sound of the marching and the balsam trees. Those are the angelic troops showing up to do battle. They are here to help you. And you can ask them to guard you, your children. You know, if my wife and sons are taking a trip, I ask the angels, surround the car, protect them, keep them, bring them home safely. Thank you for the intercessors. People are praying for you all the time. That's one of the gifts of God to you, right? Paul talks about it all the time. In fact, it's amazing. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, if you hadn't prayed for me, I'd have been toast. He says, we felt in our hearts the sentence of death. I mean, he went through some deep spiritual battle. He says, but God delivered us through your prayers. Paul, right, is saying, I need your prayers. And and there are people that God raises up to pray for you all the time. You, You didn't know it. But he does it. It's one of his gifts of grace. There are people in, you know, Nebraska, they're saying, Lord, Jerry, help him. And they don't even know who Jerry is, but God just puts you on their heart. And then people you do know. And so we ask for it every day. So, Lord, raise them up. We need the prayers. Just like Paul is saying, please pray for me. Right? So we ask him to raise up the intercessors, to send forth his spirit and rouse them, unite them, establish and direct them, raising up the full canopy of prayer and intercession for me. And then we call forth the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout our homes, family, life, and all this we stand in agreement with our brothers in the name of Jesus with all the glory and honor and thanks to him. A kind of confidence that you see Neo has? No. Right? It's just like that. It works just like that. And they have to obey just like that. You will grow in your ability to do this and I'm serious, you'll get to the point where it's, you know, one hand behind your back, shutting them down, kicking things out, because we want the freedom, you know? I mean, Precious Stacy, all these years, hammered, and I didn't even know. It wasn't a category that I thought it, but on our 10th anniversary, I just felt moved by God to pray for her in a way that I'd never prayed before. So out loud, in our bedroom at bedtime, I prayed some awkward kind of prayer like, in the authority of Jesus, I stand between my wife and everything that has come against her. That was it. That was the moment. Stake in the ground, everything changed. Three o'clock in the morning, we sensed the foul spirits in the room, and they finally realized, now the war has begun. They'll operate hidden as long as they can right? I'm not here. We don't exist. This is just you. You can't get your act together, you know? But then when you start to take them on, right, things get a little dicey, you know? They try and ramp things up. But that confidence of Neo, that confidence of Christ, you know, in a stern voice, no, no, cannot have this person. He belongs to God. And on his behalf, we bring the work of Christ for him against his enemies. And in the authority of Jesus, we send them to Christ to hear whatever their judgment might be. So we just ask, we walk in. Again, this is all training. It's something just like walking with God. We want to learn, grow, discernment, because we want the freedom in life. So something, Lord, teach me, show me, tutor me to be one of your rulers, one who exercises fierce mastery on behalf of the freedom and the life of others. That's what we want, right? That's what we want to be about. Yeah. It is one category, not the only category, of evaluation. When I'm listening to someone's story, I mean, eh, 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 this, you know, as a category, 
Now, I'm sure that there are other things that Christ wants to minister and do through other streams, but one category is something's accusing him. Revelations 12, Satan's called the accuser of the brethren, you know? Well, let's hack it up, you know? Let's get it out of here so a guy can come up for air and then the other streams can be effective, okay? It's one stream, but it is an important stream. Again, Luke chapter 10, it's great. They come back to him and they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. However, he says, do not rejoice that the demons submit but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Right? He takes it right back to the point. And the point is our salvation, our intimacy with God, walking with Him, right? The freedom in the life are the point. Okay? Not the warfare. The warfare you just got to do because you want the freedom in life. So you just keep it in its place. Right? What Satan will, will try and do, first he'll try to get you to just never deal with it. Okay? Or then he just tries to make it everything, right? And it's neither. It's neither nothing nor everything. It's a key stream. It's only one of four streams that you see Christ moving in in order to restore men and women to their glory and release them into the life he wants for them. It's good to keep that in perspective. We live in a love story set in the midst of a life and death battle. The battle is real, sometimes it is very fierce, and sometimes it takes years to break through to final victory in a certain area in our life, especially if it has to do with generational sins or places of deep, deep brokenness in which Satan has really worked and operated for 30, 40, 50 years of our own life. But the breakthrough is available. However, the love story is the point. We live in a fierce battle, but what we fight is for the intimacy that we long for with God and for all the life that he wants for us. Let me add a couple closing thoughts. Again, back to Eve and to women. Eve was created to rule also. When God gives that mandate to mankind to rule and subdue, be fruitful and multiply, when he tells us to exercise fierce mastery, he gives that command, that mandate, that authority, that mission to both Adam and Eve. They are both standing right there when he gives that to us. And so I want to make it very clear that this is for women also. Women must exercise their authority in Christ. Women are meant to rule also the realms and the kingdom the dominion that God has given to them to rule over. Women are warriors. They really are. There's something fierce in the heart of a woman. And so all of this applies to you as well, ladies. Now, as C.S. Lewis said, we make two mistakes when dealing with the devil. We either blame everything on him or nothing on him. Now, for the most part, the church in the West right now, at the end of the 20th century and the beginning of the 21st century, Blames nothing on him. I mean, yeah, sure, Satan's a figure in our theology, but not a reality in our lives. And I want to say to you that the breakthroughs that you're looking for relationally, uh, spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, most of that involves spiritual warfare. It's just the nature of it. And if we will bring this stream into our lives, you will be surprised how much the enemy has been involved in your life, in your family, in your world, maybe much, much more than you thought. But I also want to say not everything is spiritual warfare. 
and not all breakthroughs are available in this life. I don't want to set us up for a kind of spiritual failure where we try resisting the enemy and we don't get breakthrough and then again we feel like we've blown it spiritually or that somehow he's stronger than he really is. Not every obstacle is spiritual warfare. More than you think usually are, but not every one. And that's where we must walk with God in this stream. We put hearing from God, walking with God first, because in the realm of warfare, we must walk with God as we walk in this stream. We ask God, Father, is this warfare? Is this something that the enemy is doing? How do you want me to deal with this? And sometimes we learn that the obstacle had nothing to do with spiritual warfare, that it was some other issue in our life or some disruption, frankly, that God was bringing into our life to teach us. So, we walk in the realm of spiritual warfare. We walk in the authority and the work of Christ with God, intimately, conversationally with Jesus, and that's how we become his disciples.